I'm Nancy Showalter, and you're listening to Spirituality for the Politically Incorrect podcast. Welcome, all radical paradigm shifters and creative change makers. You who dare to create a better life and a better world, tap into the power that resides within you and use that power for constructive change. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to part two of our interview with our dear friend and best-selling author, Daniel Brinkley. If you've not heard part one, I suggest you listen to that first. Both of these episodes are interviews that my husband and I did on our previous radio show called Prophets for the New Age, where we invite you to be a prophet and manifest the light of your divine self to the world. In this episode, Danyan continues to share the details of his experiences in the heavenly realm during his three near-death experiences. In this episode in particular, in addition to describing the crystal city, the halls of knowledge, and his interactions with celestial masters and angels, he talks about the blue-gray place that he also saw. And this is another dimension of the heavenly realms, that is important to be aware of. So let's just get right into the interview so we can hear all of the exciting details that Daniel will share with us. Life. We can either be bystanders or creators. Now is the time to awaken to your divine identity and the power of the I am within to create a joyous and fulfilled life, no matter what your circumstances are. There are answers to life's big questions, and there is a spiritual path that leads to soul liberation and ascension. Join us every third Sunday of the month at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for Prophets for the New Age with Carl and Nancy Showalter on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Today we're welcoming back Daniel Brinkley, author of the New York Times bestseller, Saved by the Light, and at Peace in the Light and Secrets of the Light from Lessons from Heaven, which he co-authored with his wife, Catherine Brinkley. Saved by the Light, his first book, spent 26 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and was made into a television motion picture by the Fox Network and has been seen by tens of thousands of people in over 30 countries since 1995. To this day, it remains the highest-rated made-for-television movie in Fox's history. Daniels appeared on Oprah, Larry King Live, The Insider, Unsolved Mysteries, PAX TV, Dateline, and many more over the years. As a quick review, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Daniel was struck in the side of the head by a bolt of lightning in 1975 at the age of 25. During that time, he found himself traveling down a tunnel and into a brilliant light. Once there, he witnessed a panoramic review of his entire life on Earth. Afterwards, he was taken to a luminous crystal city. There, within the Hall of Knowledge, 13 beings of light infused Daniel's consciousness with visions of the world to come and charged him with the spiritual mission of establishing healing centers 
on the earth. Then against his will, 20 minutes later, Daniel was returned to his lifeless body. Since that fateful evening in 1975, Daniel has experienced two more near-death experiences, another strike by lightning and a massive heart attack. Last month, Daniel vividly shared these experiences with us. So we are very happy to have him back with us today to continue telling us about his experiences in the spirit world, as well as sharing spiritual strategies to empower your life both here and in the hereafter. I think we may have lost connection, uh, so we'll wait and see if we can get that reestablished. So, Daniel, are you with us now? Yeah, I've been trying to call. Oh, sorry. We thought there was probably a problem with the with a connection. Well, anyway, I'm just going into, I was just describing how you described the... Um, Blue-gray place. Blue-gray place. So maybe you can tell us more about that and really what you learned and, and experienced there. Well, what's important is to realize that uh, when I went through the first two experiences, lifting out of my body, it had basically the same protocol in 1975. And let me say this too, Nancy, that... Uh, September the 17th, that was that was 40 years ago. And yeah. uh, 40 years ago, September the 17th, I was struck by lightning. Yeah, we don't know whether it's ago. a happy anniversary or not. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm still here, but I do miss heaven. But in the yeah. first two experiences, they were basically the same. I lifted out of my body. I was watching. I watched them load me in the ambulance. In the second one... Uh, I watched open heart surgery from above until they cracked my chest open and took my heart out and then back down the tunnel. I met by the being of light and I went to a plateau, a different area. It was like a progression. You know, it was like a progression of me learning about certain components of those dimensions so that I'd be able to incorporate it back here in the centers, which is what we're doing now. And I had Catino. Catino from Russia was here just a couple of days ago, and so just exploring this. In the third, when it was the brain surgery, Nancy, the thing that was so different from it was I when I went out in the anesthesia, I was standing at the edge at the end of the bed looking at myself as opposed to floating above. And I, because I had been at it, so, at it so long, I realized that this was different. Okay, it was different. And then I watched him put my head in this cradle and shave half of my head, which is always pretty amazing to me to understand why they only shave half of your head. And then they put like a drill and they started drilling into my skull with my head in this cradle. And as I watched the first hole being drug drilled just above my ear, all of a sudden I come into that place. I didn't float above ever. Then I was in that dimension that I just always called it the in-between where you're aware of the world you're living and preparing for the world that you're going to. And I realized that this place was a reality. And this is how funny. I started down the tunnel. I got to the end of the tunnel. 
Okay, I'm I'm looking around at silvery blue, the same type of feeling, that loving feeling. I see the being, which I now realize was my higher consciousness, coming toward me. But I was so interested. It's terrible to be obsessive compulsive. I was so interested in the the conscious level of the in between world that as the panoramic life review began, I was fixated on that world that I realized was an in-between world. You know, what the Catholics would call purgatory. Mm -hmm. And when the Catholics called it purgatory, they had to have some place that all the souls would go after Martin Luther tacked the 99 thesis on the on the Munich door on the Munich church. Those souls were you could not excommunicate them because they were in confusion based on Henry the second the king uh, the king the German king and his problem with the church so i I thought about it from that point of view for uh, afterwards, but then when I got into this place. The, there is a very thin frequency between this physical reality and that level of consciousness. And so many people who were self-absorbed and so many people who had become so addicted to physical life, touch, taste, fail, alcohol, drugs, uh, adoration, narcissism, they didn't let go because until you, until you start down that tunnel, you still have free will. There's a level and a frequency and a vibration that exists that creates that free will that you can still choose even when you know it's not good for you. You know, like I kill, I'm committing suicide with key lime pie. It's just going to take a long time, but nonetheless, that's what I'm doing. And people, people trap themselves. I became so focused on that. Nancy, because this was the place that I realized in all that I was learning from the first experience and the, the prophecies until the second experience 13 years later in heart surgery, that the place of value that what the third one was teaching me was this is what I was supposed to focus on. The centers, the place where people, in as they review their life based on quote unquote sin as a reality or a, a heaven and a hell as a concept and eternal damnation, these create psychological fear based in everybody. And people can trap themselves whenever you know better and you're doing something that you know better than you should be doing and you create patterns of behavior like, like, uh, bosses who are domineering and creating their little fiefdoms in corporations. Another thing, I never saw children, but I, I saw a group of where where female energetic patterns, females had trapped themselves in a place where, based on the value of their love, the value of where they placed their love and what in the name of love they had allowed to happen to them. Okay, you know, putting up with guys going in the name of love of what you'd put up with. It was pretty startling to me in that group. And then a lot of people who had served in wars and who had served in wars and like what we have is at our VA, you know, you, you use them and then you throw them away. Much like Henry Kissinger said, he didn't really care 
how many lives it caused as long as his political means were met. And so you could see this feeling of desertion, and you could sense that feeling like some people didn't feel there were abused people, people who didn't want to go down the end of that tunnel and to return and let go and to go down because what they had known about religion was experienced abuse. And when I started looking at this, I, 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 it's the first time that ever become, I've never been fascinated with the near-death experience. It was just the I know it's a part of who we are. It's a process by which the spiritual being lets go and leaves this world, passes through that level of uh, of what is now I call the uh, the you know the dark spot, that place of uh, where you can trap yourself. And I waited ten years, Nancy, to write about it because I pondered it and I went through it and I looked at all the near death experiences. And about three percent of all near death experiences are uh are hellish quote unquote you know, and some people put more religious aspects to it, but they go to this dark place like uh they go to places where they are describing much of what I was seeing, so I look at all of the that three percent of near death experiences. If you listen to the person and you ask them questions, about two and a half percent of that I can understand or explain it away, knowing that there is the blue-gray place. And then there is about a half of a percent that I have no earthly idea where they're going or what they're talking about. But when a person has that so-called hellish experience, it's just that there is a an issue that they have not resolved in their divine self. What they didn't, what they knew better, and never tried to correct it or think about it, and uh, and then they create a whole another personality, like a lot of quote unquote people born again. Now I'm not saying that born again people go to this place, but a lot of the psychologies that go with that. So the lesson in all of that is that we have to people have to stop and go through their issues and look at what they're hiding from in themselves or look at what they're afraid of or look at what based out of fear they rationalize doing or not doing about their well-being and their children's well-being and people with an exorbitant amount of control over other people's lives have a really tough time relinquishing that control because when you let go you become a part of the of the of the divine flow and that individual that individual issue uh is normally removed but when people become so caught up in i i i me 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 instead of we 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 us 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 this kind of stuff perpetuates itself hmm very interesting because it, it it's um Many people, like you say, you know, they fear death and they fear what's going to happen. And a lot of those fears, of course, have been inculcated into us from various uh, institutions and whatever. And but what you're describing and what, you know, the masters also describe is that it's a frequency, as you say, that, you know, we vibrate at a certain level and we go, we gravitate to that, to that specific level and sometimes just uh, keep churning over these experiences. I know you mentioned in your book that um, some people kept reliving their final moments. 
over and over. over and over again because they couldn't accept the fact that they were quote unquote dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's hard for people, you know. It, we have so caught up in the in the physical matter, the the nature of physicality, as our true being and our true nature. I mean, and I always, and I, you know how I am, Nancy, I always laugh about all that stuff. But, but people take so serious their physical when you, you talk about people that's going to ascend. And when you take a really good look at religion, why they have coffins and why you have funerals, uh, if you look at Christianity, you don't go to heaven. You lie in a state of suspended animation in some dimension until Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to raise everybody up, and that's when they go to heaven. Now, when I think about that, and to see that that's a paradigm, I mean, uh, one of the cornerstones of how we view our religious perspective. And then you look at the fact that I hope she's safe in heaven, and she's reached her final home, and ministers say that she's finally safe and with God and all of that. But that's not what the doctrine teaches. Right. How do you, and when you look at this, like we who just live every day, and we who just try to do right, and we try to bring about consciousness and caring and compassionate, we try to be appreciative and appreciated, and we try to be inspired and be inspirational in our acts and our deeds and our ways, and not really because we think that's the driver in the agenda, but we know that that's the way to live. Right. Well, you know, it's time to go to our first break. So when we return, of course, we'll continue with Danyan, and we will continue our exciting discussion. It's so interesting, Danyan, and we're so glad you got through finally on the phone. So we'll be back in five. Thanks, everybody. I'm Nancy. And I'm Carl Showalter. And you're listening to a Dream Vision 7 Live broadcast here at WMEX Boston. Our guest today, again, is the incomparable Daniel Brinkley, who has been sharing with us about his experiences, which are slightly different, on his third near-death experience into the blue-gray area. So, Daniel, what basically was your takeaway from that experience? I think what everybody has to do is get past the fact of death. It's never going to happen. It will not happen. This life is a gift, and it's where you can practice becoming godlike. Don't get so caught up in where the outside world lures you to. You know, the old saying that the person who dies with the most toys is the winner. I've never seen a, uh, I've never seen a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. So we have to get past that and not be so self-involved in the, in the world of control. You know, a lot of rich people will be trapped in that place because they're losing control. And remember, we're all a part of the true divine flow. 
and we yearn to connect once again to that place, uh, Nancy, and by not looking at yourself and not keeping and working in pure thoughts and 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 really trying to make the world that you live in a better place just locally is a mistake. Mm-hmm. So just go through everything, everybody, and let go of the fact of the fear that comes with what is next, because what is next is the joy of reconnecting and reuniting with the true source of where you came from to start with. Right. Very good. Thank you. Well, Daniel, I was interested to read what you described as the fourfold path of power, the power of prayer, the power of belief, the power of choice, and the power of love. Could you share with us your perspectives on this? Well, you know, Carl, you already know I'm notorious for fourfolding everything. Every, I reduce everything to fours like north, south, east, and west, earth, wind, water, and fire, because these are dimensional realities that we can frame our consciousness in summer, winter, spring, and fall. These these fours uh, become a place that's already cognitive. You know, we already think in these terms like seasonal. So whenever I, when I would sit down to write with Kat, we would sit down and write. I'm always looking for these kinds of things because if we have, if we have the fourfold path to power, which is being able to keep yourself organized. Number one, everything is about love. Then I divide love into three parts. The English word, when we use the love in English, it just has one meaning, but it's fractal. But when you look at, I use the Greek, uh, phile is friendship, eros is what brings people together in that divine love, and agape is that true love, that love where the connection between you and the divine, or I, I hate to say it, between you and your pet like that, but that love that comes between that closeness. So I always tell people, look, everything's about love. Is it about filet or friendship? Is it about a, a, a chemical or a, a magnetic attraction to someone which creates that devoted love and union? Or is it about your relationship with the divine and being an expression of that? Okay, and I look at everything and everybody like that. I mean, I see you guys, Philae's and Agape. I mean, I have a divine love for you and your work, what you two together are doing, but we're also friends. So it's easy for me to classify where the relationship is. I don't get caught up in 54 different things. I just have the way that I look at you. People need to do this. Second, belief. The greatest mistake we make is this. We never attach a value to our love before we give it. People don't have a belief about their love. We give our love and hope that someone's going to recognize what we suffered through or went through or what we are doing to to give that support, love, appreciation, and understanding until they give it back. You know, you give love, you show support, you help, you feed the hungry, you do all whatever you're doing, and you don't have a value of it until they give it back. Whereas if you place a value of your love, how true you are to yourself, looking at yourself, and know you're trying to do spiritually what is correct, then when you give it, whatever they return it gives you a measurement, a way that you can measure whether you'll keep doing it, whether you won't, whether you'll extricate yourself from the issue, or whether you'll completely shut it out. 
that means you control the value of your love from your belief in it. Number three, based on having a value of your love when you give it, you are once again controlled. I used to get into trouble with Catherine Carl all the time because she had this way of wanting me to be nicer to people, and I really try hard to be nice, but even being dead, it's a real effort for me. So I used to say, you know what, Cat, listen, I don't care what people think about me. What matters to me is what I think about them. And they don't have to like me if I appreciate, admire, or like them. Okay, so I'm like that because I have a value of my love because I'm a good friend and I do the work that I believe I'm sent to do. But when you don't have a belief system, then the choices you make create a lot of adverse reactions in your life. You become emotionally scattered. You become depressed. You become uh, losing self-confidence. So when making choices, if you don't make choices predicated on the fact that you had a belief about your love before someone else had an opinion about it, and then what their opinion about it became a reflection as opposed to your truth, then the choices that you make will be smarter, wiser, more deeply uh, expanding into your spiritual consciousness, and more comfortable in the results, good or bad. With the reaction, you are comfortable with the results. And third, prayer. Prayer is like such an overused word because nobody knows how to pray. And if you look at how I wrote in the book, I took words. I went to a conference in uh, 2000, and it was about complementary and alternative medical policy. And they were trying to figure out ways to study non-local healing, the power of prayer, Dr. Larry Dalsey. There was a lot of people looking at this. And because what happened in 1997 when I had brain surgery, uh, Art Bell went on the radio show with five million people and he asked them to pray for me because I was in such a situation, Carl, that I could not bear the pain. It was so the pain in my head because the blood was pumping out of my, my the subdural hematomas. They were bleeding and it was crushing my brain against my skull and and. I couldn't think. I couldn't put thoughts together. I couldn't organize my life in knowing that I didn't think I was going to make it. And then one evening, there came this shimmer like a cool breeze in the room. I did not know until days later what had happened, but Art Bell had gone on the radio, and he asked people to stop and say prayers for me and to put me in that prayers. I could feel them, Carl. Because I was in that room by myself, and how I know at the time frame, because we listened to when the radio show came on, and Kat and I looked at it, and and I could understand that at that moment, when I could feel that energy moving in the room, I could think. I could formulate a pattern of thought, you know, where where I could figure out what I was going to do, and where my will was, and where all those things, because I never thought I would make it. I just, the odds against me, like the lightning, I mean, I never thought I was going to make that. Brain, heart surgery, I had a pretty good chance. But the brain surgery, they gave me less than a 10% chance of surviving, and I didn't really care. So when people look at the fourfold path in the secrets, 
and you just build off of that. You build off of those four full things. You look at that everything's about love, giving it and receiving it, so you have to qualify it. You have to have a value of your love. What do you think it is? Well, it's God-given. And then you appreciate, admire, or inspired by things that you see happening around you. You know, and that's how you create a belief system in your love. And when you give it, you have a qualified nature of sharing it. Then your choices, your choices improve. You don't do stupid stuff. You don't make dumb choices based on hoping somebody's going to love you or hoping somebody's going to recognize the depth of your conviction. You make choices based on being able to reflect and watch that. And even if it's a terrible outcome, there is a comfort with it. And then prayer. When I went to this event, they just they used it for a scientific study the term willful conscious intent. So what I did when Kat and I were writing the book, I said, and I'm notorious, everybody knows I always write the definition. I don't know why I do all that, but I write the definition so that you don't have to think about how I'm framing what I'm writing. Here's the definition from the dictionary, and then I write. Very good. Very beautiful witness to the power of prayer. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's amazing. And uh, very practical application in this fourfold path of power that you've described. And they work. You know, it's it's like another time for another break. So that time just whizzes by as you're describing all these wonderful things. Um, So when we return, more with Daniel Brinkley. And we will see you in a few minutes. Welcome back to Prophets for the New Age. I'm Nancy. And I'm Carl Showalter. And you're listening to a Dream Vision 7 Live broadcast here at WMEX Boston. And we're here with Daniel Brinkley, who is talking about his three near-death experiences, not just one, but three. And Daniel, you know, you wrote in your book how after your near-death experience, you had all of a sudden, which you didn't even understand as you described it, these extrasensory abilities, and you were actually able to feel people's vibrations, read their minds, and know a lot of things that you, of course, could not do before. Can you describe that? Because now I know you say, you know, you've really balanced that out in your life, and you've kind of, and now you actually give readings to people that help people, and maybe you, let's start with that. Maybe you can just tell our audience how they could uh, get in contact with you and for a reading if they would choose. Yeah, but also remember this. This is my legendary saying, Nancy. One day I never believed in any of this. I mean, I would have never believed it, you know, and I would be the worst, most cynical jerk you could think of. One day I never believed it. The next day I was dead, and the day after that I became everything I never believed. (laughs) I went from... Being able to pick up so much stuff about people because most people are have no grounded nature 
with where they are so their emotions are moved. And as I began to do hospice work, I began to hone in on people's voices. I can touch someone and I can feel things about them. It's why I'm such a legendary hugger. Why should I listen to the conversation when I can know it from a hug? But I listen to the tone in a person's voice. And uh, anyone can contact me by going to Danion, uh, Danion.com, and there is a place in there about readings. And what I ask people to do is to write their questions down. You know, don't just come and sit around and mess around. Ask me, a, have questions and write them down, because once you write it in black and white in this world, then the universe goes to work of getting the answers. And when you ask me the question... I can listen to the power and the presence and the nature of your voice. I can usually get to the Akashic Records where I can see how it was constructed. And then I can help answer and move things forward. A lot of times it's people who are, who are, who are missing a relative. I mean, you never know what happens based on your questions. And it's, um, you can look and see the kind of stuff that Cat gets from the people and that what happens and how it changes their lives because I don't remember most of the stuff that I say because I put an earplug in and I listen with my heart and I only listen to that tone and that voice. Everybody has a tone. So if they go there and they need help and whatever they're going through and they're don't mess around and they ask questions, they write the questions down and they read the question off, we answer it, we go to the next one, we go to the next one, we go to the next one and we get it done. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, that that's very good. Um, you have a, a quote that uh, Carl wanted to mention and have your comment on. You yeah, said, our fundamental purpose in life is to discover our uniqueness and then learn to manifest it for the betterment of all mankind. If you truly want to know why you are here and exactly what spirit wants you to do or be, you ask and sit patiently and with good cheer and in the silence of holy reverence and wait for the answer. Spirit will reveal everything still held in mystery. Now, if there's any question that people ask, it's this one. Why am I here? And, Daniel, I think you hit right on it here. Would you want to say anything more about it? Well, you choose to come. While in secrets, I wrote this. You know, I did a threefold, Carl. I wrote three light books, Saved by the Light, which was what happened, At Peace in the Light, which was the plan that I would execute over the next, uh, over the next 20 years. 22 years I would execute, and then the secrets of the light was what I learned from tens of thousands of hours at the bedside, listening to what people talk about and empathically perceiving what nature it is. We choose to come here and we're chosen to come here. The most important part about it is that we were chosen. You were chosen that the divine architect believes there is no one more important than you to fulfill the nature of the divine's flows unfoldment of a universe, not just a planet or the neighborhood or the mess you're getting into, but the universe. To not accept that as the true divine value is what people are missing. We can't get caught up in dogma. We can get caught up in some doctrine because that keeps a cohesive movement in pattern, meditation, thought, prayer, but not dogma. 
what are we doing here? And the panoramic, I wrote the seven truths, because if you framed a problem, if you had a problem, Carl, and you framed it in one of those truths, you choose to be here, you were chosen to be here, okay, well, so what am I doing here? I always go to number five in the in in the lesson so that here's how you choose to be alive at this time and at this place i'm paraphrasing and at this point in history because never before have you had such a glorious opportunity to display your individual power and presence that means your ability to be kind and caring then i put think of this when you receive a present it's called a gift and what we've been given today is the ability to make a difference so what do you do in here? You are you are here to make a difference, and you are to look at it. And when where did I get that from? In the panoramic life review, the last thing that happens after you see your life pass before you, you look at it from a second-person point of view, you become every person that you ever encountered, and you feel what really happened, you know, because it's never what you do, it's why you do it. Motive is such an overused and bad connotated word, but motive is a very important perspective to look at it from. But the end of the life review there is this. If God could not come today and God sent you, in the life you just reviewed, what difference did you and God make? So what are you doing here? You're being the difference. Why I chose to be a hospice volunteer is I'm going to be every one of those persons whose hands I hold. And I'm going to be able to look in from their eyes up into my eyes, and I'm going to see a divine presence that's there with them. I mean, I'm smart about this, Carl. I understand how it works after going through it and studying it for 40 years. So what people have to do is remember they are the difference that God would make, and that's how they have to guide and run their life. Uh, that's awesome, Daniel. Can you, you know, talk about briefly, because it's getting closing time here, truth number one, because that's almost your trademark statement where, you know, you are a, and describe the, uh, the, uh, Everybody are great, powerful, and mighty spiritual beings. Yes. With dignity, direction, and purpose. That means there's only one thing that could ever go wrong in your life. You have left something. You have let something affect your dignity. When you feel, when you let it affect your dignity, it affects it affects your direction and your purpose. Find what you've allowed to affect your dignity. Correct it. Resolve it, and be that great, powerful being that you are destined to have and have always been and will always be. Thank you thank so much. You, thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much for being with us today. Your insights and perspectives are so valuable for all of us. We have and I thank you and I love you both you. immensely. Yeah. And love you too. And thank you everybody for joining us. We'll be back next month, Sunday, October 18th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Stay tuned for our meditation. God bless it.
May the blessing of light be upon you. Light on the outside, light on the inside. With God's sunlight shining on you, may your heart glow with warmth like a turf fire that welcomes friends and strangers alike. May the light of the Lord shine from your eyes like a candle in the window, welcoming the weary traveler. May the blessing of God's soft rain be on you, falling gently on your head, refreshing your soul with the sweetness of little flowers newly blooming. May the strength of the winds of heaven bless you, carrying the rain to wash your spirit clean, sparkling after in the sunlight. May the blessing of God's earth be on you, and as you walk the roads, may you always have a kind word for those you meet. Understand the strength and power of God in a thunderstorm in winter, and the quiet beauty of creation in the calm of a summer sunset. And may you come to realize that, insignificant as you may seem in this great universe, you are an important part of God's plan. May he watch over you and keep you safe from harm. Thank you again for joining us today at Prophets for the New Age, broadcast every third Sunday of the month at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. For more information on Prophets for the New Age and Spiritual Awareness Fellowship, visit our website at spiritualawarenessfellowship.org. And until we meet again, may you be abundantly blessed. For being with me today and if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe download and comment i'd love to hear from you and your support is much appreciated and don't forget go to nancyshowalter.com to get your free electronic copy of my book it's okay to be rich the entrepreneur's guide to increased wealth and personal mastery endorsed by t harv ecker and my free mini course How to Speak Your Success, The Shocking Truth of How Your Words Impact Achieving Your Goals. I'll see you next week.